know about you, but I, I appreciate those videos, and I appreciate all the people that were willing to let their picture be taken or confiscated to be used in the creation of, of those videos. But they're good reminders of me. I, I um, yeah, I, I'm the one that makes those videos, but um, all of that to say, I've watched each of those videos multiple, multiple times. And again, I'm just grateful for the people I'm allowed to, to pastor. So thanks for being who you are. That being said, uh, this morning, what I want to do is I want to start a little bit differently than we've been starting in each of these messages in this series. We've been starting with that main verse from Galatians chapter 5, but I want to look at a different verse this morning just to open up, and you're going to see it on the screen, John 15. John 15, verses 1 through 8. Let me read this for you. These are the words of Jesus. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." So, that's Jesus speaking to his disciples, okay? Fast forward. Fast forward, we're, we're past the death, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. He's ascended into heaven, years have gone by, and you've got a guy by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul. Amazing conversion story, you should look it up. But uh, Paul is a, a prolific church planter. He just goes all over the place planting churches. And so he ends up going to a place called Galatia. Galatia is in modern-day Turkey to plant a church there. And uh, then after he's done planting that church, he leaves, goes on to go do some more missions work. And uh, the problem is, as some time goes by, he's instrumental in starting that church. But over time, what happened is that church began to become really relationally challenged. The people in it were envious of each other, backbiting. So What he actually does is Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, he kind of reclaims this picture that Jesus painted back in John 15 about a vine and branches and fruit. And instead what he does is he says, look, this is the kind of stuff that should be coming out of your lives right now, but it's not. Instead, it's all this other stuff. It's the opposite of all this other stuff. And your witness for Jesus is really being hurt by this. And so Paul kind of reaches back a few years prior to Jesus's death and takes this thing that Jesus said and brings it into the future, brings it into the present to speak to the Galatians. And it's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There's no law. So in our series we've learned that we don't produce these things. It's our desire to be able to point at that list and say, yeah, that's us. You want to know what real life is all about? You want to know what this church is all about? This is us. Love, joy, peace, patience, all these different things. We want to be able to point at that 
But we've also had this reckoning moment where we realize we don't produce them. We don't produce those things. Uh, the Spirit does. So our part really is surrendering the things in our lives that hinder God from being able to build those things up in our hearts and in our lives so that in our actions, in, in our words, that's what comes out. So we've got to begin really with the business of what do I surrender? What do I surrender? And the truth that we've kind of landed on in this series is this. The evidence of that fruit, love, joy, peace, all of those, the evidence of that is going to be on display or not. Where? In your relationships. In how you and I treat each other, how you treat each other, how we interact interpersonally. We're going to see love or we're not going to see love. We're going to see peace or we're not going to see peace. We're going to see patience which was mine from last week, right? We're going to see patience, or we're not going to see patience. So today, what we're doing is we're doing a twofer, all right? You get two-for-one deal today. You still need to come back next week, but we're doing two today. Today is kindness and goodness, and I've put these two together for a reason. They literally go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. All right, so hang with me here. Kindness. Kindness is a character trait. It's a character issue. It's an inner disposition. It's a quality of character. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, uh, Jesus, when he's talking about his burden is light, his yoke is easy, that word easy is also tied to that word kindness. So he's, and, and a yoke was a, you put a big wooden cross beam on a beast of burden and that, that yoke could chafe. And so what he's saying is, my yoke is easy, kindness is an inner disposition that does not chafe, does not chafe others. You are being kind. That follow, you follow that? Goodness is different. Kindness and goodness, they kind of fall in the same camp, but it's a little bit different. It's kindness in action. It's generosity in action. So it's one thing to be kind. It's one thing for your personality or your character not to chafe others. But what does it look like when you put feet to that and put it into action? Put it into action. So, so ultimately, when you put these two words together, you get a picture of character in action. In action. Now, here's the innate problem with these two words. They sound nice, don't they? Kindness sounds nice. Goodness sounds nice. But here's the deal. They, they sound almost passive. Like, they're just not very aggressive, right? Kindness and goodness. It's just not aggressive, not aggressive. Here's the problem. Jesus said, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So kindness and goodness don't necessarily sound powerful, but that's actually where their power is. It's very subversive. Here's the kicker. The power of kindness and goodness is revealed in a really interesting way. And I just, I'm going to give you a fair warning. These last couple of weeks, uh, I've used humor to lighten things up a little bit, kind of put on my stand-up hat, uh, threw myself under the bus a few times to get a few laughs. Um, kindness and goodness, goodness sound like light topics, but in fairness, I need you to know I'm pretty convictional about these two things, uh, and here's why. Here's why. Uh, every once in a while, our world, something happens in our world that hands us as the church, a reality check, a reality check, uh, things that check our spiritual pulse to see if we actually believe what we say we believe, 
whether it's an incident that happens, a human tragedy, whatever the case is, the world has this tendency of handing things to the church to say, all right, you show us. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Are you really who you say you are? We get those reality checks every once in a while. They're also reminders of just how exceptionally dark certain corners of humanity are. Um, Sometimes we see apathy or indifference in those situations, but sometimes, sometimes what you get to see is spirit-empowered kindness and goodness that does some amazing things. Uh, One of those things for me in recent memory, uh, at least for me, was the Syrian refugee crisis. I don't know if you remember that from a few years ago. I'm really proud, just a side note, uh, exceptionally proud of the Church of the Nazarene. Nazarene Compassion Ministries has been engaged with refugees for some time now, but the need has increased exponentially over the last five, six years, four, five, six years. Uh, around the world, 70.8 million individuals in those years have fled violence, persecution, extreme poverty, and disasters with zero guarantee that they'll ever be able to go back home. Uh, they're Syrians, like I said, fleeing war and extremism. Venezuelans seeking safety from an autocratic regime, uh, Hondurans fleeing just extraordinary violence and threats to their lives, Uh, South Sudanese, and and if you go to South Sudan, most of the refugees are actually children, children fleeing brutal conflict and worse. Half of the people, half of the people who have been refugees in the last five to six years are children, children. vulnerable to human trafficking. Uh, Most of those children live in poverty with insufficient food, clothing, shelter. So imagine you've got a child when it comes to not just your physical needs, but imagine the trauma that a child who's a refugee goes through. Now for me, going back a few years, there's, there's some images from that Syrian refugee crisis in particular that were really, really brutal, really, really hard uh, back in 2017, and they're still hard to look at today. Uh, One image in particular, one image in particular. So back when the most stark images of the refugees were taken, there's a a music group called Gunger, and uh, they recorded a song. It wasn't widely distributed, even the video wasn't widely distributed, But what I actually wanted to do today was play for you the video that they had made for some of the lyrics that I'm about to read for you. Um, That's what I wanted to do, but because we stream our service live, uh, the copyright issues would mean that the live service would stop. (laughs) They would would pause our broadcast because of copyright issues. Uh, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share just a few screenshots from their video, a few pictures. Uh, We'll post the link in the Facebook feed so you can watch, but sometimes, sometimes you hear something, and sometimes you see something that makes you stop, just a full stop, because what you're seeing in that moment requires something. It requires a reckoning of, do I really believe what I say I believe? 
Am I really who I say I am? And for me, this was one of those. So the question posed in these lyrics, I think, is why. This kind of made me full stop. I just want to share it with you. The lyrics are, all the world watches as the people run. From the fiercest storm to the fierce unknown. Will we watch and wait, turn and close our door, or will we be who we've always said we are? Broken bodies scattered on broken floor. All the earth now weeps for her children lost. All the fallen plead now with wounded words. Will we be who we've always said we are? All the world watched his little body there, innocent and still by the water's edge, and it stole our breath. Love that holds him now asks for more than words. Will we be who we've always said we are? And it goes on, when you are wounded, all is wounded. When you are broken, all is broken. When we don't see you, we are blinded. Will we be who we've always said we are? The little body lying there that I mentioned in the lyrics that's spoken of, there's a picture. And I really struggled when I pulled those pictures from that video. Um, I don't generally want to share things for shock value, and I also knew children would be with us today. It's a, it's a jarring picture, and if, if you remember what I'm talking about, there's a, a child lying drowned who was escaping uh, Syria, just right there by the water's edge. And uh, it's that image. It's that image. And almost kind of out of respect, I don't think I need to put it back on the internet again. <laughs> um, with children fleeing from war, violence, abuse, lying dead at the water's edge, what an abused wife or a family who's trying to scrape by on the food stamps or whatever service they can get on a, in, when they're living in the middle of a food desert in an urban center, what, what all of the darkness in our world needs, what all of this needs is not nice people. That's not what's needed. Not nice people. Nice doesn't shine in the dark. They need spirit-empowered kindness that spurs people to acts of liberal goodness that just flows out of them, radiating deep in the center of darkness. See, kindness, nice doesn't get dirty. Kindness and goodness gets dirty. It gets dirt under your fingernails. It's uncomfortable. It's who we say that we are. But are we willing to be who we say that we are? That's kindness and goodness. And here's what's worse. You and I know that what I just described for you in the lyrics of that song is just like one infinitesimal corner of the darkness in our world. It's one little dot in a sea of darkness. And the unfortunate truth is that in a world that is hard and severe, our tendency, my tendency, 
is to turn towards self. To be self-protective, self-promoting, self-preserving. And when that happens, the world just gets darker and colder and more painful. But that, that is where kindness and goodness demonstrate this amazing subversive power. Nice and clean is tidy. Kindness and goodness shines in filth and in disorder and chaos and pain. But there is a condition. There is a condition if this fruit, kindness and goodness, is actually going to be nurtured in our hearts. What do I need to surrender in my own life so that God can do that? That's the question. And I'm going to shoot really straight with you. Based on my experience, what I see in Scripture, based on, based on the actions of Jesus, the thing I keep coming back to is one word of surrender, and it's this. It's entitlement. Now, here's another unfortunate reality about the world that we live in. You almost can't say certain words without people affiliating those with some kind of junky political rhetoric. <laughs> but I, I tried to figure out a different word. This is the one I kept coming back to. Entitlement. And I hope you hear me out. All of the fruit of the Spirit, we've agreed from love to self-control, all of it are expressed in relationships, how we treat one another. Kindness and goodness are pretty essential to healthy relationships. Wouldn't you agree? Pretty, pretty hard to have a good relationship with somebody if you're not going to be kind or if you're not going to be good, all right? Yet one of the biggest threats to healthy relationships are entitled people preoccupied with their own way, with their own desires, with their own wants. If you're preoccupied with all of those things, you become blind to the need to be kind to others, to be good to others. It's our nature to seek self first. That's just built into us. It's a self-serving, self-first, self-lifting, self-promoting attitude that pushes to the front of the line. Because you should be at the front of the line, right? I mean, that, that's your right. You should be at the front of the line. And it happens all the time at the expense of all the people we step on to get there. It happens at the expense of relationships. We hurt people in our quest to serve ourselves, in our attitudes of entitlement. What does a child do when they don't get what they want? How many of you had a child do it this morning? Okay. As adults, we don't do that, do we? It's socially off when we throw a temper tantrum, isn't it? It's not kosher. It doesn't look good. In the name of personal rights, I have seen people, Christians, resort to exceedingly nasty, aggressive, narcissistic behavior to get their rights met, to get what they want. And what does this entitlement produce in us? It was in the lyrics that I just read. When we don't see you, we are blinded. Blindness. Sometimes it penetrates our hearts. Listen closely. It, it hits us so deep to the extent that we actually become indignant toward the plight of other people because it somehow might inconvenience us. Their plight, their pain, their suffering might actually impinge upon our position, our entitlement, our rights. We become indignant with those people or indignant with that situation. 
I'll never forget a conversation that I had in the fall of 2001. I was at a gas station with a guy from the church that I was at. We were talking a little bit, and in the fall of 2001, gas prices went up for a couple days, sharply. And guess is why? 9-11. And predictably, what happened after 9-11 was panic, buying, all kinds of stuff. Gas prices went up. So we were at the gas station. We were done. And uh, as we pulled away from the station, this person that I was with said this. You know, I really didn't care about September 11th until I saw my gas prices go up. Now, this was by all measures a nice Christian man. It wasn't the 2,715 people in New York who died that caused him to care. The 400 plus firefighters, officers, and Port Authority personnel who died, the 1,609 people who lost a spouse or a partner in the attacks, the estimated 3,051 children who lost a parent, or the 1,707 families who received zero remains from their loved ones. What caused this individual to care was that it cost him something. That is the definition of entitlement. Your comfort and preferences at the expense of others. Now, none of us would say, yep, that's me, make me a t-shirt that says entitled. I'll wear that with a badge of honor, right? None of us, none of us would show up and just say, yeah, yeah, that's me, that's me. But the fruit of the Spirit, listen, is kindness and goodness, and the person that embodies it most is Jesus Christ. In this series, we've been looking at different situations that Jesus finds himself in. And the one we're going to look at really quick here is Mark 7, 31 through 37. Jesus shows us what this looks like. He's been traveling all the while. He's challenged. He's accused by religious people. He's inundated with, with all kinds of requests for help. So if there's anybody in this, in this moment that's entitled to a break, if there's anybody, I mean, he's just basically walked, walked 50 to 60 miles to get where he's supposed to be. And so again, if there's anybody entitled for some time off, for a vacation, for something, it's Jesus. But instead, here's what we have. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, to the region of Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. They begged him to lay his hand on him. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, that's really important. Taking him from the, from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Well, what do we see here in, in regards to this kindness and goodness? And just three things really quickly. The first is this, kindness and goodness are interpersonal. They're face-to-face, -face, they're person-to-person, -person, they're one-on-one. -one, one -on -one. These are interpersonal characteristics. Did you notice, it's actually the crowd that asks for this guy's healing. 
The crowd brings this person to Jesus, yet what does Jesus do? He pulls the guy out of the crowd and pulls him to the side. That's called dignity. It's a good thing. He pulls him to the side and gives him dignity. He deals with him face to face. He sees him as a person. He's not a statistic. He's not a political pawn. He's not a sermon illustration. He's not an example. See what I'm about to do and I'm about to teach you this grand lesson. He honestly just sees this man who has a past and he's got hurts that need to be healed. He needs to be touched. He needs to experience the grace from Jesus. So he pulls the man aside to do that. I love that. I love that. Jesus was not about the show. He was about the person. And so that's exactly what he does. And he does that for you. You're not a statistic. You're not an example to be made. You're a person, a real person. Jesus makes clear that the object of his goodness and kindness is a person, a person. You know, a picture of refugees is easy because they're at a distance. You don't know them. They're part of a crowd. But in the absence of entitlement, in the presence of kindness and goodness, you find the refugee. You embrace the refugee. You embrace the homeless. You embrace the hungry. And to do that, you've got to acknowledge the, the other person that you're doing this with is no different than you. That's you you're embracing. If we are Jesus followers, are we not, are we not in a foreign land right now? We had this conversation in the spring. We're of a different kingdom. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We are foreigners in a foreign land. This is not our home. And yet, as foreigners in a foreign land, Jesus wraps his arms around us, knows our hearts, knows our cares, the desires, our pains, the thing that needs to be healed in our lives. He wraps his arm around us, even though we are foreigners right now in a foreign land. In the midst of our exiled status, he embraces us. He embraces you. He calls you his own. But the second thing you see here really briefly is this. God is the source of spirit-empowered kindness and goodness. God is the source of this. Did you notice what he does before he heals the man? Now, this is God in the flesh, right? He's the God-man Jesus, but yet what he does is he looks up. He looks up. That's so important. There are times when kindness and goodness are not our default. Let me rephrase that. There are times when kindness and goodness are not Rich Doring's default. Okay? Is anybody else in my camp? That's not our default. Where do you find the strength then to do that? Not from yourself. Not from yourself. Remember back what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 15? I'm the vine. You're the branches. You're not the vine. He's the vine. I'm the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that's who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is produced in us as we cling to him, as we abide in Christ. In a couple of weeks, Pastor Andrew Patton, I know that uh, there's some of you might not have met him yet, but he's going to be here. He's going to share an incredible message with us about what it looks like to truly abide in Christ. And are we abiding in him to the extent that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? I'm excited about that. 
for him to share. But this is where Jesus is getting at. And finally, it comes down to this. Kindness and goodness can change the narrative of somebody's life. They changed mine. It says, his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. The kindness and goodness of Jesus changed that man's world. World. There were no accommodations in that day for people with disabilities. In fact, there were condemnations. Because surely it was something you must have done that would make you blind. Surely it was something that you must have done that would make you deaf. And this is God's punishment for you. Or surely it was something that happened to your parents. Your parents did something, didn't they? And their punishment is giving them a blind child, a deaf child, a mute child. That was the common view. So why would you provide services for somebody that would inconvenience you? All of a sudden we have entitlement again, don't we? And we become blind to the very people that Jesus ran to. The very people that Jesus wrapped his arms around and touched and healed. His story changed. That is the subversive power of a God who will overcome once and for all the harshness and the darkness of this world. And as his people, you and I get this awesome, awesome privilege to begin to experience that overcoming kindness and goodness right now. Right now as his people. And I just want to challenge you this morning. Can you think of somebody who's shown you an act of kindness that has changed the narrative of your life? I bet you can. Is there somebody who probably didn't need to show you kindness, but did? And it changed kind of the trajectory of your life a little bit. Is entitlement an issue for you? What would it take to surrender this issue for you to express kindness? What would it take for you to surrender your place at the front of the line so that somebody else who can't even get to the front of the line could have your place instead? What does that look like for you? And then the, the final question really is, have you shown gratitude and do you show gratitude for the kindness and goodness that's been shown to you even though you didn't earn it from Jesus Christ? I'm so glad that Jesus wasn't just nice to me. Nice is clean. Nice comes alongside of you, puts an arm around you, and says, they're there. I needed kindness in action. I needed goodness liberally poured out upon me, a sinner, who needed saved by grace. And instead, I had a Savior who got dirty for me, I have a Savior whose kindness and goodness drove him to death on a cross. But he didn't stay there. He beat death. He beat death. And because of that, we experience real life today. Real life. That's our goal. That's our goal. I think that last question is a good question as we approach communion together. There is a subversive power in giving yourself away. And since... I'm right, what, six months in at this point with you, and I plan to be on a long walk in the same direction with you guys for as long as I possibly can. You probably should understand, I have every intention to pastor a church that wants to give itself away. That wants to give itself away. 
Because this is not about us. It's about Jesus, the one who gave everything for all of us. He's the only reason that we're sitting here right now is because somebody in their kindness and goodness didn't hold back, didn't take the nice route, took the dirty one, getting hands and feet dirty for Jesus. Uh, when Christ came, uh, it was expected that he would be a Messiah of strength. He would be a Messiah of power and might, that he would bring down oppressive governmental systems and fight for the people who are on the right side of history. The people who are on the right side of history always know. Do you know why? Because they tell you. <laughs> I'm on the right side of history. You should be too. And then he went and died. Then he went and died. Not for some, but in an act of kindness and goodness, he died once for all. Once for all. Have you come to a place in your life where your heart is expressing that gratitude that you're a part of that all that he died for? I'm going to ask you, uh, if you've got the elements today, the bottom part of that is the bread. I'm going to ask that you would prepare that as we participate in communion together. And as we do it, as we approach this, my, my challenge and only encouragement to you today is I'm asking you if, you, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never walked across that step of, that line, that, that step of faith that says, you know, I'm, I'm putting my trust in Christ today. I'm not going to trust in myself anymore. But, but I believe that I need a Savior because of sin in my own life. I want to challenge you to think about what that looks like for you today. And if you're a believer here today, if you're participating in this meal today as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is always a reminder this is always a reminder and a touchstone that brings us back to that place where we reckon with the reality that we need everything that was represented in these elements. We needed Jesus' body to be broken for us. We could not pay the penalty for our sin. We needed his cleansing, his blood to be spilled out for us so that we might have real life. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. In a meal with his disciples, he broke it. He gave it to them and he said, this is my body. This is going to be broken for you. And so every time that you eat, every time that you eat this bread, I want you to remember. Remember. So I'm going to ask you to join me in remembering today. As you prepare the juice, Jesus at that same meal on that same night took the cup. He gave it to his disciples. He shared it with his disciples. And he said, this, this represents my blood, which will be spilled for you. This will establish a new covenant with my people. So every time that you drink this, every time, I want you to do so and remember me. So would you join me in remembering today? Would you stand with me? Father, every once in a while, um, some of these sermons, 
probably a little sobering and I feel a little heavy-handed, but um, I pray that, uh, that, Father, these were not my words, that, uh, that your words would penetrate my heart, our hearts today, so that we might embody what it means to be kind and good. That we might embody, Father, what it means to look like Jesus. And Jesus was a servant. He was the suffering servant. And Father, even some of those words smack against the realities of the different directions that we're pulled in all the time. How many times do I say to my own self, Father, Rich, you deserve this. You deserve something. Um, I don't. In fact, I deserve your wrath. But instead, you offer grace. Father, help me never to forsake that. Help me to never take my eyes off the fact that my gratitude should be pouring out from me continuously for the kindness and goodness that you've shown me through Jesus. I pray that that's the experience of the people who are hearing my voice right now. I pray, Father, that you would continue to work in our hearts and in our lives to form us. We are being formed right now more into the image of your son, Jesus. So would you keep us moldable? Help us, Father, to keep ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Father, today for our country, the opportunity we have to express ourselves the way that we do. Now help us to express ourselves in a way that honors you. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Eat some food. And if you want, find somebody, invite them to eat some food with you. That was a hint.